Welcome to the Anthro to UX podcast, where you will learn how to break into UX with an anthropology degree. Through conversations with leading anthropologists working in user experience, you will learn firsthand how others made the transition, what they learned along the way, and what they would do differently. We will be discussing what it means to do UX research from a practical perspective and what you need to do to prepare a resume and portfolio. I'm your host, Matt Arts, a business anthropologist specializing in design anthropology and working at the intersection of product management, user experience, and business strategy. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Anthro to UX podcast. I'm Matt Arts. I'm here today with Peter Lakem. Peter is an experience, user experience researcher at Coinbase, and he was previously at Comply Advantage in Alibaba. So, Peter, thanks for joining. Would you mind telling everybody how you first, uh, first how you got interested in anthropology? Uh, yeah, well, um, well, first of all, thank you so much for, for having me here. Um, yeah, I first got into anthropology uh, basically because when I was in middle school, I was really into punk rock and the local um, radio station had a punk rock show every Thursday, I want to say. And right before that, they played uh, lectures by Alan Watts, who was a British philosopher who kind of uh, introduced uh, a lot of people in the West to, to Eastern uh, spirituality in the in the 1960s. So I wound up listening to his lectures right before, you know, just because I had the radio on to catch the punk rock show, which got me into the idea that, oh, wait, my the way that I look at the world is very relative. There are other completely different cosmologies out there. Um, and that led me both into being interested in kind of studying the way that kind of cosmology, you know, your, your worldview inflects your experience of everyday life and, and China. So, um, when I was in, in undergrad, I went to China for a year to, to learn Chinese, to learn about Chinese religion. Um, wound up studying, uh, meeting an amazing Kung Fu master, training with him, went back after I graduated from college and, uh, yeah, wound up then, uh, that, uh, was a trajectory that led me to, uh, be, being grad school studying, um, economic development, design, and business strategy in Chinese businesses um, at uh, UC Santa Cruz. Yeah, thanks for sharing. And so I'm curious, um, you know, when you say you were into the punk rock scene, it reminds me of an episode I did with uh, Laura Korcheva, where she talks about being a misfit. And, um, you know, I have a certain appreciation for the sort of DIY mindset, if you will, and, you know, the sort of broadly speaking, the punk sort of aesthetic of not the visual aesthetic per se, but again, the sort of approach to sort of doing everything yourself. And I'm just wondering, uh, has that in any way factored into, you know, the way you approach life and even your studies or the work you do? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to see, uh, Clifford Geertz, uh, speak, uh, shortly before he passed away. And, um, you could see he was definitely a very socially awkward person who spent his life on the outskirts of other people's lives. And I think when you look at an anthropology program, there are a lot of people who, yeah, are, are misfits, are slightly out of step with kind of mainstream culture. And that, that kind of gives you the perspective of, oh, I want to hear, see what, how these people think, um, how normal people who, who aren't this way, uh, think. Um, and I, and I think that's what's really informed a lot of my research is the ability to like kind of step outside of the way everybody sees something and kind of look at it with fresh eyes. Now, as always, the journey from anthropology to UX is not always a straight path. 
So can you tell us a little bit about what that looked like for you? Yeah, well, so I did, um, I was in a PhD program in anthropology, and um, I was aware that design strategy was a thing kind of vaguely. Um, and I, I strategically kind of chose a field or a, um, a field site and a focus of my studies that would hopefully kind of put me in a place where I could pursue market research or kind of applied research or um, academic research. So I was uh, doing, I was based at a uh, Beijing-based design strategy firm uh, working with Chinese clients who were um, developing brands. And then, so I did two years of fieldwork in Beijing, returned to uh, campus to write up my dissertation. And as I was there, it just became more and more clear to me that, um, yeah, that, that academic jobs just weren't there anymore. And I was kind of doing a gut check and realizing, okay, I have a lot of friends that are stone cold brilliant, that are dedicated teachers, that are doing really, really good research. And I can't imagine that I'm smarter or more tenacious or more uh, a better teacher than they are. And they're really struggling to get a job. Um, at the same time, um, the university had, um, basically had enrolled more grad students than they they had funding for and created a very toxic environment where it was difficult to, to find TA ships, difficult to support yourself. And I realized like, hey, this isn't working out for me. I need to I need to just jump ship and focus on um, on finding a, a full time job outside of academia. Um, and that was a little bit of a, a, a meandering process. I, I went back to Beijing for a while, tried to find something there. Um, but in Beijing, like it's easy to find, it's easy to find an editor job or something that's kind of not that hard and overpays you relative to the effort that, that you put in, but not something that adds up to a full-time career. And I was totally happy to do that in my early 20s. Uh, but in my mid-30s, I, I figured I needed to, to focus on something more substantial. Um, so I came back to the United States, uh, to, to the New York area. And really, I, I happened upon UX in the dumbest way possible. I was just searching for ethnography in job listing sites and saw that UX was a field where they were hiring people who did ethnography. Um, I spent several months applying for jobs and I was, I was always getting, you know, I would get like one or two callbacks a week from recruiters or hiring managers. I would have one promising interview a month, but it never really went anywhere. Um, and, and looking back, I see that the problem that I had was I realized that I didn't have applied experience. I had some applied experience. I had done some design, you know, consulting things here and there, and I was able to frame my field work as design experience. But ultimately, I, there were jobs that were looking for three to five years of experience, um, which is often the magic number in, in UX research uh, roles. Um, and, and I uh, would say, hey, I have 10 years of research experience, it both applied and, um, and, and academic. And what I wanted to convey with that is, hey, I don't tick all of your boxes, but I'm a really good researcher and you should hire me anyway. But what I realize now is that on the hiring manager's side, they saw, you know, if somebody has 10 years of experience in UX research, they're someone who can 
you know, come into a company and start their own research program or who can lead a, a major research practice or an area of your research practice with a very minimal oversight. There's someone, you know, there, there are lots of skills that go into user research that are not the research part. It's actually a minority of what I do day to day, unfortunately, because it, it's what I love the most. Uh, but a lot of it is strategy. A lot of it is stakeholder management. A lot of it is prioritization, you know, because I can only do so much amount of, of research in a in a quarter like what are the things that are going to move the move the needle what are the things that are gonna be the most strategically important uh focus of my time uh so i wound up uh going to general assembly for a ux boot camp uh which i found very valuable um i know there's there's a lot of uh mixed opinions about about boot camps and people have mixed experience of them what i got out of the boot camp is you know, it's, it's 12 weeks. It's not going to teach you to be an expert in any one thing. What it does is it teaches you the development process that most tech companies use, you know, from, from research to design to validation. And then if you have a deep focus in any one of those stages, it allows you to translate your, uh, your area of focus into that process. So after that, um, after t general assembly, I was able to, you know, talk to PMs, talk to designers about where my research could fit into their, into their priority priorities a lot, a lot better. Um, so it still took me a while to get a job after after uh, graduating from GA, and and my first job was at a um, wearable fitness tech startup called um, uh, V uh, V Labs. Basically, they had um, a a uh, pair of smart headphones that uh, you run with, and there were you know they had sensors that picks up a lot of data about your your performance, and then there's an AI running coach named V who talks to you as you run and coaches you. Um, they had just uh, raised like a million dollars on Kickstarter. They were um, creating kind of the you know they were defining the the fun foundational experience that they would launch with. Um, I was initially just start uh, hired as a usability tester, but then as after I was there for a few days, PMs were talking about, hey, we could build this feature or we could build that feature, which should we build? And I was able to jump in and say, well, let's test this. Like, here's how we can put this in front of users in a, in a prototype and, and get feedback on which would be the most valuable. So I went from, you know, being a part-time usability tester to a full-time user researcher in a month. And I was there um, for over uh, almost two years, um, you know, going through product launch um, and then, um, yeah, just building up the experience more and more. Uh, after I figured I had gotten enough experience, I wanted to, to move on to, to something bigger and more, you know, more established research practice where I wasn't the only researcher. So um, I was able to, you know, my first job search took me really over a year. And then um, my second job search, uh, in a month, I was hired at Alibaba, um, who was opening up a, um, a New York City office. And there I was um, working on their international B2B um, platform. And it, it was a great role where I was going back and forth to China and, um, you know, working on some, some, some interesting projects. 
again, after a year and a half of that, I decided to to, to move on um, and, and pretty quickly um, found a job at a British startup called Comply Vantage that was um, building anti-money laundering uh, regulatory compliance uh, software. And they were they were very successful in in the or relatively successful in the EU. They were working into the US market. And what I liked about the role is I was doing more strategic work on kind of defining, you know, get figuring out what the product roadmap needs to look like for for the US market, um, doing a lot of interviews with bank compliance officers. Uh, when the pandemic hit, I was let go with a, a large chunk of the um, the New York office when we didn't meet uh, sales um, expectations or sales projections. And then um, after a while, uh, volunteering for various uh, COVID um, response uh, projects, I uh, started with Coinbase, uh, where I've been for a little over a year. Um, which has been an incredibly, I mean, it, I've been there for a year. It really seems like five years in terms of like all the work that I've gotten down and all the things that have changed along that time. It's, it's been very challenging, but, but really rewarding. Um, yeah. And, and the reason why I went through all of those, um, different job searches was just to convey that, you know, if you're having a hard time getting your foot in the door, um, I had a, I had a much harder time than most people. And, um, you know, I, I thought about giving up several times during that time and just trying to find the easiest thing, you know, something else, something that was attainable and figuring that maybe I wasn't cut out for this. And now I'm in a position where I have recruiters reaching out to me with great jobs, um, you know, every, you know, several times a week, um, you know, which, which isn't to brag, but just to say that, you know, just, just stick in there. And, and once you get your foot in the door, it, it becomes infinitely easier. So thanks for sharing all that. Um, I guess would you, yeah, there's a lot to unpack in there. And so I'm curious, aside from, say, the, you know, the boot camp, what else did you really change along the way? Did you change anything with the resume, with the portfolio, or do you think it was simply a result of having more experience? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, initially, um, my portfolio was repackaging some of the design projects on my, um, for my field work as, you know, design research projects. And then when I was, um, my, um, when I was back in, uh, on campus writing up my dissertation, I had run a design project over the summer where I got a bunch of uh, classmates who were interested in applied research, found a client and kind of did a, a brand strategy and design strategy project for a, for a startup. Um, and, but it wasn't very tech focused. It wasn't an app. It was a physical product. Um, so after um, General Assembly, what uh, one of the things that that got me was a, a portfolio that was focused on design. Um, you know, on, on digital design, on websites and on apps, um, which is something that just was more speaking the language, was more fitting the uh, criteria of a hiring, of a hiring um, manager. So could you, I'd like to talk a little bit more about Coinbase, um, particularly. So, you know, that's a, Coinbase is involved in a, a really emerging industry. So I'd love to maybe just hear a little bit about the role, whatever you can share that you're allowed to share. Um, but then also I'd like to maybe get into a little bit about, um, you know, the type of research you're doing in that space and what anthropology can contribute to, you know, something so emerging. Yeah. So, um, 
I've been on Coinbase for a little over a year, and on that in that time, I think I've worked with like 20 different uh, product managers, really spanning spanning the range from really all aspects of 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 the platform. Um, everything from improving the login and working on settings to really speculative projects about about emerging fields within crypto that uh, don't have widespread adoption yet. Um, and what I love about it is that I, you know, there are a lot of really boring and easily solvable problems in user research. And, um, you know, you can get a conversion funnel and something where it's just, it's a problem that I've solved a dozen times before. And I kind of really know how to, I know how to approach it. What I like about Coinbase is there are so many problems with that when I, when it gets put in front of me, my, my response is, I have no idea how I'm going to do that. Um, I have no idea how we're going to get that information. I have no idea who we should talk to about this. And once we define those people, how we can find them, because it's really a tiny fraction of, of the overall population. Um, and then, you know, within a day or two, I need to have a research plan and then I need to actually execute the research. So it's, it's been really challenging, but it's been kind of an invigorating kind of challenging, um, where, where I've been learning a lot. Um, where I feel, what I think anthropology brings to the fields of kind of emerging technology is um, I don't feel a need to understand everything that I'm researching. Um, you know, I think a lot of, you know, classically anthropologists went into places where they didn't speak the language very well, where there was no existing literature on the culture. So you're kind of going in fresh or with very limited knowledge. And then you have to figure out what's going on, starting from a point of confusion. Um, and I feel that that is a very good perspective for the study of emerging technologies, where maybe I don't understand all of the technology of cryptocurrency. Um, you know, I have, I went in not understanding very much. I, I've learned a lot along the way, but I'm certainly not an expert. I don't have any, anywhere near the expertise of some of my coworkers and of, of many of the people that I interview. Um, but I'm fine with that. Um, what, uh, one of my, uh, professors at, at UC Santa Cruz, Susan Harding, was of the opinion that, um, you know, she taught the, um, ethnographic fieldwork class that, uh, that, uh, for my cohort. And her perspective on fieldwork is you go in there with your understanding of what the question is, your understanding of what you want to solve. But then when you encounter other people, your priorities are not their priorities. And you need to give them the space to talk and show you what is important to them, because often it'll be something completely different. Um, and, and that perspective kind of let me be very comfortable walking into an interview with someone who knows a lot more about the space than I do and letting them be the expert and guide me to what their problems are, what the areas of opportunity are and how they think about a thing. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, even though I started with, um, uh, a very limited understanding of of cryptocurrency within the first week i was i was doing interviews and within the first two to three weeks i was doing interviews in emerging technologies that um you know that are i mean it's not that i don't understand them it's that they're still kind of nascent and and unformed 
Um, and, and it was something that I've always been really comfortable with just because, because of that anthropological perspective. Now, in that space, you know, there's some really kind of like classic anthropological concepts that are, you know, very present. You know, there's a very big, um, sort of kind of gift giving economic component. There's a big community component. Um, you know, these are sort of really at the forefront of that movement in many ways. And, um, I'm wondering, you know, how has it been, has it produced thing of sort of like a very ripe field or is the field very ripe to, to discover, um, you know, more kind of groundbreaking or like aha moments than maybe some of your previous work? Yes, I, I definitely would say that. Um, it is because people are creating new social organizations in kind of this, this decentralized space of kind of Web3 uh, or whatever, you know, of, um, you know, so there's cryptocurrency trading on a platform where you just purchase um, cryptocurrencies or exchange one cryptocurrency for another. And then there are distributed applications that are games that are social organizations called DAOs, where you um, get is a distributed organization to achieve a certain goal. And then there are investments and NFTs. Whereas much more, it's it's building a culture and building organizations and ways of doing things really from scratch in a in a very new social field and so that's a place where it's it's much more geared towards anthropological an anthropological perspective i think than um you know apps where you're um studying kind of defined defined experiences and defined activities uh, or things that are always kind of have already coalesced and, and what I found really interesting is, um, I did a, a, a lunch and learn with my, my coworkers where I taught them, you know, just gave a very brief overview of the anthropology, anthropology of capitalism. And I was very kind of, not nervous, but I was kind of, interested to see how they would respond and everybody was really fascinated by it um, and, and saw it as being valuable for kind of informing their work going forward. Yeah, there's, there seems like there's a lot of a lot of opportunity there to have deeper conversations than you know might we than maybe certainly we do like in some basic usability type spaces. Um, to go back to to the problem you previously mentioned about you know how to find participants to to conduct research with, you know it's interesting because be, I had a similar pos- place in the direct to consumer genetic space, which arguably is you know fairly large at this point. But in the earlier days, of course, you know, it was a little harder, um, not impossible, but a little harder than it might be to, yeah, to, to test something, you know, like a, a, a consumer app that everybody has on their phone or most people. So given that experience, I guess the question is, what did you learn? And did you come up with any, you know, any, any insights of how you can track down people, um, for the sake of research in an emerging area where, yeah, there's just not as many users yet. Yeah, well, I mean, and this is another thing that um, that I think my anthropological background has been been very helpful for is that you know when we do field work, we have zero resources. You know, right now I pay people to talk to me, um, which is such a luxury and and makes things so easy or or significantly easier. You know, when I was doing my field work in Beijing, all I had was my you know considerable charm um, and and very little else and my ability to kind of just see opportunities 
communities and find and be shameless in networking and getting people to hit up friends of friends and, and things like that. Um, so that's put me in a mindset where I'm much more comfortable tracking people down um, through my own network, uh, through coworkers' networks, um, outside, you know, when, when the more conventional, um, channels of finding users kind of fail. Uh, so a lot of it is just being really, um, tenacious in finding the places where people who, who are active in crypto gather. And then, um, in obviously online and, and, and not, not physically and figuring out entry points into, into meeting people there. And then another thing is just cognate research where, um, for example, um, there are not that many, um, people who trade cryptocurrency, uh, professionally, like on an institutional level, um, out there, you know, they're just, just, are not that many in the world. So tracking them down and getting their time is very difficult. But there are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who um, who trade conventional stocks, securities, bonds uh, professionally. So when you're working on kind of more uh, professional trading, you know, um, projects with professional traders, you can take a step back and say, okay, what are the problems that we need that are specific to cryptocurrency? And what are the problems that um, we can do this kind of cognate research where we do stuff on um, conventional finance traders and translate it into the crypto space. And then let's offload all of those problems that can be done with cognate research to the conventional traders, which are relatively easy to find. Um, and so that when we do uh, do work with um, crypto traders, we're only focusing on the things that are specific to that space and, and can be as efficient as possible. And are you in a position to talk about like decentralization more broadly? So, you know, obviously, as you said earlier, there's the sort of act of buying and selling crypto, but, you know, maybe more of the promise here is, is blockchain as a technology with decentralization and what that might mean for, like you said, you know, these for DAOs and for common ownership of organizations, you know, or uh, just broadly speaking, smart contracts across, um, you know, across any industry where we really we get to own something instead of essentially, you know, this economy we're living in where most people are now sort of just paying, you know, a subscription for something they never have any stake in. So are you in a position at all to talk about those sort of broader trends? I mean, I know that maybe to some degree is outside of the the direct feature set of, of Coinbase a bit, but anything, anything you can comment on there of what you're yeah, learning? Yeah, I mean, the thing that I would say about that is that when I do projects in the Web3 space, it's like it's a space where the technology is really fascinating and what the technology enables people to do is incredibly fascinating. And it's very easy to just go down robot rabbit holes of learning about the, the technology. Um, which is great. And if you're interested in it, I totally encourage you to do that. But as a researcher, I always have to catch myself and, and remind myself is like, yeah, 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 but there are people using this. And I find that the perspective that I bring to that space, again, as an anthropologist, is just like, okay, all of this stuff is enables people to interact in very different ways but they're still people. And what are those human needs that are being met and are not being met in this space? And how does that enable them people to do what they want? 
and how does that prevent people from doing what they want and i think and i find that like bringing it down to that very human perspective then enab- enables you to to take a step back and then focus on the technology and bridge that gap okay so to to maybe take it back and you know to to some stuff with with the, just the the general process so aside from recruiting um this is an industry where because it is new and emerging you know there there may be a need to socialize the findings in maybe a way that's maybe greater than some other spaces i appreciate that maybe some people on your team are very well versed in crypto but are you finding that there's any challenge there in in socializing the insights or anything that you've learned from doing that in emerging tech yeah, I mean, in, so there are two two challenges. One is socializing insights within within the teams, and and that is not as the the technology isn't as much of a of a barrier there because for the most part, a lot of my coworkers understand the technology a lot better than I do. Um, the the challenge there is just that everybody's really busy, so. Um, you know, within my, within the teams that I work in, there's a lot of hunger for research and I don't have trouble, um, socializing it within the, 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 um, direct teams. But then kind of more broadly, it's, it's figuring out how to package the, the relevant insights or insights that are as relevant to as broad a field as possible into bite-sized chunks that people can, can read in, you know, quickly read and, and digest rather than, you know, a, a five page research report that, that that nobody's going to have the time to, um, to to go through if it's not directly relevant to, to the job at hand. Um, and then, yeah, it is challenging to explain um, Web3 concepts, crypto concepts to um, to a general audience. Um, and and that's something that, you know, fortunately, we have we have very talented uh uh, you know, content strategists, illustrators, and designers who are good, and people in marketing that are that are good at socializing that that side of infor- information. Um, and and this is definitely a space where figuring out how to accurately and clearly explain things to a general audience has been a much bigger bigger part of my time and uh, is is a much bigger challenge than than in previous roles um where where it's it's much more straightforward yeah now coinbase has an interesting model there with the coinbase learn um appreciate that might not be something you can dive into but just calling it out for anybody who's maybe interested in the space um, you want to maybe just give like a you know two minute pitch on what that is for anybody who's listening who's maybe intrigued. Yeah, well, Coinbase Learn is um, if you create a, an account on Coinbase, there are different videos where you um, that introduce different cryptocurrencies and different um, areas of of the crypto economy, and you get compensated with you know five dollars of crypto for for watching. A, uh, a video. So if you aren't familiar with the space, if you aren't, you know, if you aren't in, if you haven't decided to, to invest in cryptocurrency or are still on the fence, it's a way that you can learn more and then just get the tangible experience of having, you know, $5 in ETH and then playing around with that before you, uh, you invest more fully. Yeah, the uh, act of compensating people for learning is, is, is a nice, nice uh, spin on things. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, it's very, yeah, it's a really brilliant idea. So, you know, the future of this industry is 
you know, arguably big, um, maybe not looking anything like it is today, but nonetheless, the technology is very sound. So there's definitely a need for more researchers in this space. Is there, if anybody was interested in this area, is there anything that you would recommend people do? Um, I mean, of course, there's the, you know, the basic research skills and there's all that work that needs to be done to, you know, with the resume to kind of prep to get the job, but there's also some subject matter expertise. So uh, anything that you've learned along the way, any resources that you would maybe direct people to? Yeah, I mean, I would um, I would start with just uh, Coinbase. Uh, Coinbase Learn is you know if you're coming from the, the point in the perspective of an absolute beginner. Yeah, just one thing that I'd like to add is that when when you're dealing with an emerging technological space, a lot of times hiring managers don't expect you to be a complete subject matter expert, but they want to be able to see that you've put in the effort to to learn a little and that you're dedicated to to going deep. Because any any field that you're that you're going to be hired in, you know, I know things about regulatory compliance, you know, practices that I, I never thought, you know, to a degree that I never thought I would um, before I was working in the field. So, you know, they they're going to want to see that you're dedicated to learning in the long run um, and not just expecting to, like, show up do a job and 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 not kind of get that expertise so a lot of it is not just like being able to go down all those rabbit holes and do the deep dive but showing that you're you've done a little bit and are willing to do more good and so what are you um aside from yeah the subject matter expertise given that you had sort of a rough journey as you described it would you recommend anything for people getting in? I mean, I know you said the boot camp, but that may or may not be for everybody, just given various, you know, circumstances. So, you know, what if somebody's like, say, you know, undergrad or early career? Um, any any thoughts that you know you'd want to share now that you've you've made you know the the leap multiple times? Yeah, one thing that I wish that I had known as uh, when I was still in grad school was that there are there are going to be research groups on your campus that are involved in uh, digital development. Often they go by human computer interaction or, or other, um, you know, different programs have different names. But I, I, I would encourage anybody who's still on campus to find research teams find professors that are working in the digital space and and reach out to them for opportunities to collaborate because the more tangible projects that you have in your portfolio before you go on the job search the better um and then also if you're doing your field work or you know finding opportunities to do collaborative research with your um with your field site, with the people you're doing research with. Um, so for example, if you're based at a, at a nonprofit, figuring out what problems you can help solve uh, at the nonprofit for, through research. 
So that way, rather than just gathering data, you're doing a project that, you know, where you can identify, okay, here's a problem this nonprofit was having. Here's the research I did. Here's the intervention we did based on that research. And here's the results, uh, that, uh, that, that I got, that we got afterwards. And that's something where, um, you know, at the same time, you can give back to the field site that you're working on and, and, and help benefit them, but also get a, a, something for your portfolio where you can show that you can apply your research in a, in a complex setting. Yeah, great advice. I, I especially like the first suggestion there with the, the I'm just gonna say like labs on a campus. Um, actually, I've, I've not heard anybody suggest that yet. So that, that's a, a good one to keep in mind, um, along with, you know, other things that I, I maybe say to people sometimes. So um, now there's also lots of groups, you know, in many formats, including Meetup, and you have your own Meetup. So, you mind sharing a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, I created a um, design anthropology Meetup um, several years ago, and it just kind of it happened very organically with a design UX um, uh, Google group that uh, people suggested meeting up in New York. We all got together, and then it just kind of grew and grew from there. And, and what I like about the framework of a design anthrop, uh, design, um, anthropology is that we're able to get designers and UX researchers who are interested in anthropology and anthropologists who are interested in UX research together, um, in a, in a casual networking space. So it was a, a really good opportunity to give, um, you know, anthropologists who are trying to get their foot in the door, the, the ability to, to network with people who are already in, in the industry. It's something that obviously we put on hold, um, during, during COVID, but are planning on, on bringing back out, uh, in the, in the coming months as, uh, as things clear up and it becomes safer to, to network in person yeah that's great i've uh wanted as i mentioned as we were just talking before i, I i've seen it for years so i'd like to get back to the new york area and join you one day um so if anybody wanted to get in touch with you about that or just you know any, for any reason at all where's a good place to find you um my linkedin is the best place to reach out to me um i'm very i i pretty much accept all incoming um, connection requests um, that are in any way relevant. Um, and, uh, you know, just look, search for Peter Lakeham on, on LinkedIn. I'm pretty, pretty sure I'm the only one there. Well, Peter, thanks for coming on. Appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was really great. Thank you all for listening to the Anthro to UX podcast. To learn everything you need to break into UX, visit anthrotous.com. There you will find all the podcast episodes and career coaching resources. Please like, share, and subscribe. See you next time.